Uh, the rest of you, um, I'm going to do something that some of you will probably hate. Um, so just throwing that out there as a precursor. Um, deal with it. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question with no context. Which is more important, presence or visibility? How many say presence? How many say visibility? How many are cheating? <laughs> um, in this cup, this awesome Ben-sized mug, is a ball. How many believe me? Okay. Some of you. Some of you don't. Well, you should have. Because there is. There's a ball in the cup. The ball is present. But... It took some of you to believe that the ball was present. Uh, it took visibility for you to actually believe it. For you, it wasn't present until it became visible. Right? Uh, now, some of you saw I, I asked for like someone that's good with sleight of hand or magician. I was going to try to do something cool where I put it under the cup and, you know, is it there? Is it under the cup? Is it not under the cup? You know, and trying to like sneak it in my hand. I'm not a magician at all. Like I'm not even going to try. Okay. But when the ball is under the cup, it's still present, but it's not visible. But it's just a ball. Who cares? Let's, uh, let's make it a little more interesting. I'm going to have uh, the lights turned down. Come on, baby. I'm going to light a candle. Okay, it's a small candle, but it's doing something. It's giving off light. It's fulfilling a purpose. If it's present, but not visible, it's no longer accomplishing its purpose. It's not succeeding in giving off light and providing light to the room. It's present, but it's not visible. But when I remove the top, there's the light, and it's accomplishing its purpose. It's only accomplishing its purpose when it's actually visible. See, visibility, go ahead and turn the lights back on. This isn't going to work for the rest of the day. Um, visibility, if you think about it this way, is proof of presence. Visibility is proof of presence. Let's say you uh, invite me over to your house. You're going to have this party. You invite me over, and I'm like, great, can't wait. I'm excited. I'm going to be there. The day after the party, you come up to me, and you're like, Ben, why didn't you come? I said, I, I was there. And the next thing you say is, but I didn't see you. See how visibility is more important than presence? in that situation, like, it's more important that you actually see me at the party than just the fact that I'm there. Visibility is proof of presence. How about husbands listening to your wives? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm listening, staring at your phone. That's not good enough, <laughs> okay? I don't know about your wife, but for my wife, like, she needs proof of the presence of my ears. 
My ears are there. My attention is on her. But for her, it's not visible. She can't see that I'm listening. She wants visibility over presence. But this shows up even more so in dealing with a difficult time. Going through something difficult and someone says, hey, I'm there for you. But when you call and when you need something and they don't answer, doesn't visibility become a lot more important than presence? Look, I need you and you're not there. Let's take it one step further. What about your faith? Isn't visibility more important than presence? This is scriptural, actually. Uh, James says, if someone, someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Visibility is proof of presence. You want to know that I have faith? Let me show you by the things that I'm doing. Visibility is proof of presence. We're starting a new series. Uh, it's called Now and Later Life, and we're going through the, the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And feel free to take a look at the, the series description, which is in your bulletin. Um, and we're going to be getting into that in upcoming weeks. But the book has the notion, uh, just uh, real quickly, the book has the notion of being hopeful for the life to come while enjoying God now. So it's now and later. Um, but like I said, we're going to be getting more into that into the upcoming weeks. Uh, but one thing we're going to see as we're uh, going through this book, especially in this week and the next week, is that the Thessalonian church had a very visible faith. And so that's why I, I opened with that and the importance of visibility. Um, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, um, thank you for a place to be dry and warm uh, out of the rain. But more importantly, Lord, thank you for a place to be with our brothers and our sisters. A place uh, where we can fellowship together, where we can encourage each other, where we can lift each other up, where we can be um, the body of Christ together. Lord, let us be uh, dialed into your words and to what you have to say this morning. Let us be listening to you. And from that, Lord, uh, let us go out and be your hands and feet. Uh, we ask that uh, we just hear from you this morning that you remove all distractions and just allow us to um, receive what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're diving into the book of 1 Thessalonians, but to get there, we're going to start in the book of Acts. Uh, so if you'll open up with me uh, to Acts chapter 17, that's where we're going to start uh, this morning, Acts chapter 17. Uh, the, book of, uh, the books of First and Second Thessalonians were written to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica is uh, a, a town tucked into uh, a port on the Aegean Sea. And back in Paul's day, there were about 200,000 uh, people there. Most of them were Greeks, uh, so Gentiles. Uh, but there were some Romans and Jews there as well. 
and you're going to see how, how that plays in in a minute. But one of the cool things um, is that uh, this city still exists today. It's now called Thessaloniki, um, but it's one of the few Greek cities that has been continuously occupied since the time of Christ. Uh, so you can still go and visit there today. Uh, and if you're going and need an extra companion, I'd love to come along with you. Um, I will be present and visible while I'm there. Um, <clears throat> but um, Acts chapter 17, and um, some of you like maps, uh, so we're going to use maps. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy were out uh, doing a missionary journey, and they were in the area of present-day Turkey. Uh, and in Acts 16, uh, verse 6, it says this, And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the, the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, So they were up in the Asia-Bithynia area and heard the call to go into Macedonia. So we're going to zoom in uh, to the top left-hand side. Uh, and they were in Troas. Uh, and the first thing they did is they went across uh, over to Philippi. And they get to Philippi, and there's a woman there that's possessed by a demon. She's a slave, uh, and they cast the demon out. And the guy that owns her is really mad, um, and he throws them into jail. Um, and they're in jail and uh, celebrating, worshiping the Lord in jail. God sends an earthquake, opens up all the doors. The Roman guard, who's responsible for everyone, thinks that everyone has escaped, thinks he's going to be killed, and so he goes to kill himself, and Paul says, hold up, everyone's still here, don't kill yourself, leads the guy to Christ, leads his family to Christ. God does some amazing things through Paul and Silas in Philippi. So, that's where we are, that's what's going on, and we pick up in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. This is what Paul would do. He would go into different cities. He would go to the synagogue first. Uh, he was, uh, beforehand, a Jew you know, and so he'd start reaching out to the Jews, and in these synagogues, there would be a lot of Gentiles as well, and so he'd talk to them as well, um, and that's where he would start his ministry whenever he went to a new city, and then kind of spread out from there. And take a look at what happens. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Great, they're successful. They reach out, and a bunch of people come to Christ. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. Hey, you've got all these converts, like we want them. Uh, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. 
Jason was putting up Paul and Silas and Timothy. He was uh, allowing them to stay with him while they were in Thessalonica. Okay? So that's why they're going there. They're going to find Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, at Jason's house. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Does this sound familiar? It should. Take a look at Luke 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, Jesus. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. See, the Jews were using the Romans to shut Jesus up. They were saying, no, no, he's wanting to be a king. Like, we, we just want Caesar. They don't care about Caesar. They just want Jesus quiet. And here again, they're doing it in Thessalonica. Same thing. Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. So here's what happens. And when they had taken... uh, I'm sorry, verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Okay, so here's here's where they are. Here's what they're dealing with. Um, the, The Thessalonian church. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they show up They preach the gospel. Lots of people come to Christ. Amazing transformation. But the Jews are upset. Get the Romans on their side. You know, Paul and Silas and Timothy scoot out of there. Now, what do you think? That was it? Like, now everything goes back to normal. Everybody's happy? No, of course not. But rather, the Thessalonians were continually persecuted. Continually um, just persecuted for their faith. Um, Flip over to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. And that's where we're going to hang out the rest of the morning. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. In in prep for this sermon and in prep for this series, I've read 1 Thessalonians a lot. Um, And especially this, this passage that I'm preaching on this morning, I've read it a lot. But after reading Acts 17... I read it with new eyes, understood it differently, because now you get what this church is going through. And so when this letter's coming, it's coming with, hey, this is a group of people, this is a group of Christians that are under persecution, that are uh, being hated for their faith, being persecuted for their faith, being uh, like the, the Jews and the Romans, they don't want them there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, Silvanus, that's Latin for Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Doesn't the last half of that verse pop out a little bit differently, knowing what happened when they visited? You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And then I'm bleeding over into Kel's passage. Kel's preaching next week. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received the word of the Lord in much affliction. So they're identifying, they're recognizing, look, you guys are, are being persecuted. You guys are in the midst of a bunch of garbage. But you saw how we were faithful through that, and you have been faithful through that as well. But what's going to kind of guide and direct the rest of our morning is verse 4. It says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know that he has chosen you. How encouraging is that? We know that he's chosen you. We know that you're Christians. We know that you're following Christ. We know that you are his. Man, that's so encouraging. I was working at In-N-Out years ago taking someone's order, and after I had finished, she looked at me and she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? Like, uh, yes. What makes you say that? She goes, I can tell. Boy, that changed the rest of my day. Boy, that lifted me up. Wow, someone noticed. I don't know how she got the fact that I love Jesus from... Would you like onions on your burger, and do you want fries with that? (laughs) But somehow she picked that up. She looked at me, and she could tell. I can just tell. Wow! That was so encouraging. So here, Paul is encouraging them. Look, we know that God has chosen you. How? How did they know? Well... The Thessalonians, their faith was visible. Visibility is proof of presence. They could see their faith. So, if you like blank fill-ins, here's your first blank fill-in. Make your faith visible. In, uh, in verse 3, there's three things that are pointed out. But before we get there, uh, you know, we're asking the question, how was their faith visible? There's a lot of things uh, that they did that's mentioned in the rest of chapter 1. So verses 6 through 10, it talks a lot more about, here are some ways, Thessalonians, that your faith has been visible. You're more than welcome to read ahead um, and uh, be prepped for that. Uh, but the key is that they were doing things. 
The key is that they were active. Again, James 2.18, I will show you my faith by my works. The things that I am doing is the proof of the presence of my faith. You want to know that I have faith, it's going to be visible. Visibility is proof of presence. It's not enough for faith to be present. If it's not visible, is it really there at all? Or as uh, a lot of people say, uh, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So let's take a look at verse 3. There's three things that are pointed out where the Thessalonians' faith was visible. It says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at those three things. First of all, work of faith. Work of faith. They're doing things that are bigger than themselves. But what they're doing is they're doing things for the kingdom, but they're relying on God's strength, not their own. So they're knowing, God, you want us to do this. You want us to do that. You want us to continue to be faithful in the midst of persecution. I I can't do that on my own. So they're doing it through faith, knowing that God is going to be the one that's going to give them the strength to do it. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. More than all that we ask or think. See, we can easily stare at a situation and go, God, I know you want me to move forward in that, but that is impossible. I cannot do that. When I first started as a youth pastor 13 years ago, I, I had experience and I had done uh, some aspects of youth ministry in the past. I'd led games before. I, I could lead games. I'd planned events before. I could plan an event. I had led worship before. I could lead worship. But wait, you, you want me to teach junior hires? Twice a week? Every week? I can't do that. I can't. Got to come up with series to go through and, and things to talk about and passages and making outlines and... Back then, like, you know, all the blanks had to start with the same letter. And, like, it was just like, I, how, how am I going to be able to do this? I can't. So I had two different options, right? Could have quit. Or I could have said, no. God, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to need you to do this for me. I'm going to need you to speak through me. And I got on my knees and I started praying and I started working really hard at it and and God used me. And ever since then, everything's been perfectly fine. Everything's been fantastic since then. No. No. I mean, not not long ago, you know, Dave and Becky are, hey, we're going to adopt a couple kids and... By the way, Ben, what that's going to mean for you is that I'm going to be in China for a couple of weeks, and then after that I'm going to 
uh, take a month off and, and, and be at home with the kids. So the church is yours for, for six weeks. And you, you need to make sure that all these different things happen. I stared at that. I can't do that. I can't. Every single day, I'm on my knees. God, you have got to be in this. Every single step of the way. You've got to. Because I look at that and I go, that's impossible. But with God, it's possible, right? Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I've got this crazy idea and I've come up with it. But God's going to do far more. Far more. Think back to a time when you stared at something impossible. Knowing God wanted you to do it. What did you do? Did you back out? Or did you go for it? Trusting God. I was just talking to a buddy of mine this past week. He just took a new job out in Ohio uh, as the worship leader for this church. And his first tasks are lead worship four times a week, which he's never done before, and put together a community-wide event that's supposed to host at least 5,000-plus people. Go! Get it done. He said, Ben, I cannot do that. I said to him, you are in the right place. I'm glad that you're saying that. And you know what? You're right. You cannot do that. When you're relying on your own power, when you're relying on your own strength, you are going to fail. It says, now to him who is able to do. God's the one doing it, not us. So how do we interact with the seemingly impossible? Do we close the book? Or do we march forward in faith, knowing that God is doing the work within us? And when we're moving forward in works of faith, does our faith become visible when we do this? You better believe it. Man, how did you pull that off? Hey, it wasn't me. It was God. And even more than that, your faith gets to grow when you're doing these works of faith. You believe bigger. You dream bigger. You trust more. You understand more just how big your God actually is. Wow, I thought this was impossible. I knew God wanted me to do it. I started marching forward, and it happened. I know that wasn't me. That was God working through me. What else could God do if I said yes? If I started walking forward? Amazing things. So Paul's commending them for their work of faith. He's also commending them for their labor of love. Their labor of love. What's the reason we're making our faith visible? What's the reason we do the things that we do? Isn't it our love for others and our desire for them to know Jesus? We want others to know Jesus. We want to be loving them and and, and pointing them to Him. Even loving the unlovable at times. 
Matthew 5.16, it says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, when people look at the things that we do, we want them to be able to see Jesus as we do them. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the credit's going to God. The glory's going to God. I was just uh, talking on the phone with uh, a woman who's a missionary. Uh, she's wanting to go down to Portugal, but right now she's working on fundraising. And I, I just told her, man, I, I'm praying for you. Man, keep it up. Keep going. I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. It's hard, you know. Man, I, I want to go and serve, but like, I've got to trudge through all this. I've got to raise all this money. I've got to go and ask people. And it's awkward and it's hard. But she's got a right mindset. You know, it's so that other people can come to know Jesus. So that other people can see him. Are you doing what you do for God's glory? Does your faith become visible when you're doing labors of love? Absolutely. Why are you loving that person? I'm going to sneeze. Nope. There it went. It's going to be annoying for a little bit. Um, why are you loving that person? Why are you pouring into them? Why are you doing this? Why are you there serving homeless people? Why are you there, you know, taking care of sick people? Shouldn't you just be at home relaxing? No, I'm doing this because I love them. I want them to know Jesus. I'm doing this because I want them to see God. Does your faith become visible when you're doing this? Absolutely. The third thing Paul commends them for was for their steadfastness of hope. When life bogs you down, are you hanging on to hope? Are you remembering who's in charge? I've brought this verse up a couple of times recently, but I just I keep coming back to it. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. There are multiple people that I've walked with where life seemed bleak, where a situation seemed impossible. Someone that they loved wasn't walking with the Lord. And so I'd pray with them and say, hey, you know, like, let's just continue to pray for this person, knowing that God is good. And it's been amazing to see years later these people come back to the Lord. Man, you know, you remember a few years ago when we were praying and we just looked at that and go, no, it's impossible. They're never going to come back to Christ. They never are. But we held on to hope. And here's one of the most important things about that hope. That hope was not in a what, but rather in a who. We weren't hoping for something to happen. 
but rather for God to continue to be good. See, we can hope like, man, I, I hope they come to Christ, or I hope they turn their life around, or I hope that you know, this happens, I hope that I get this job, I hope, you know, whatever. But, but the bigger way we need to hope is hope in God's goodness. Because that's something we can be confident in. And no, God is going to be good. His version of good is going to look different from mine. I want them to come to Christ now. I want to get that new job now. I want this to happen now. I want them to turn around now. But I'm going to hope in the goodness of God. Because I know that He is going to follow through. His version of good is very different from mine. But I'm going to hope in that. See, when it talks about preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, our minds go to heaven. But isn't it so much more than that? It's more than than streets paved with gold. It's the goodness of our God. And wouldn't it be cool someday to, to be in heaven and to see that person that you were like, man, I'd, I don't know. I don't know where their heart is at and be walking around and go, wow, there they are. Awesome. God's timing is different than ours. God's goodness is different than our ideas sometimes. But God is always good. And so that's where we need to put our hope. Not in a what, but in a who. Does your faith become visible when you have steadfastness of hope? Absolutely it does. Man, life is really bleak for you right now. How, how can you continue to go on? How can you have a smile on your face? How can you continue to say things are good? Well, it's because I have hope in a good God. Sure, the circumstances might not be great, but, but I have a God that's good. And I'm hoping in Him. You better believe your faith becomes visible. So we're to make our faith visible. But how? Do we just get out there and, and work hard? I'm going to do this. Okay, i got to make my faith visible. Boy, that's a lot for me to shoulder, but you know what? I've got to do it. Hold up. No, 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 no. Here's your other blank filling for this morning. Remember your roots. Remember your roots. Remember the powerful gospel. Look at verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. The Thessalonians didn't follow Jesus, didn't make changes in their lives, didn't convert because of the wise and persuasive words of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Boy, they had a lot of great things to say. Boy, they really convinced me. And that's why I'm following Jesus. No one has, has come to Christ because you were just so persuasive and, and you had the right words to say and it was because of what you did. 
absolutely not. They changed because of the power of the Gospel. People give their lives over to Christ because of the power of the Gospel. Not because of your words. Not because of my influential words. Not because of anything of that nature. But simply because of the power of the Gospel. Now, does God use our words to communicate that? Absolutely He does. But don't you dare take credit when someone comes to Christ. Because you didn't do it. Neither did I. Don't we dare take credit for that. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. I am who I am because of the powerful Gospel. Because of our powerful God. So as I'm doing works of faith, labors of love, steadfastness of hope, I need to remember where that faith, where that hope, where that love comes from. And where the credit and where the glory needs to go. It's not from me. See, the whole idea of works of faith is that we're allowing God to work through us. So the power comes from God and the credit goes to God. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now yes, the tail end of that verse says, you may abound in every good work. But where does the ability for that to happen come from? Where does it come from? God is able. I am not able to make these things happen. I am not able to do these things. God is able. God is able. And so through that, we will be able to do these works of faith. But again, the credit does not go to us. The glory does not go to us. And if you're taking the glory, if you're taking the credit, you shouldn't be. Knock it off. Because the credit and the glory has to go to God. God is able. Now what about this labors of love? The only way that we can have love for others to do labors of love is because of God's love for us. Right? We read earlier Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Man, you're doing, you're doing an amazing work out there. Man, you're loving the homeless. You're pouring into them. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I, I've got a really good heart, and I really care about other people, you know, selflessly. I, I really do. And I'm really humble, too, you know. I, you know, I just, I, I want, you know, like, I, I just have a really good heart. 
No. None of us of our own volition care about others. We are self-centered, selfish people. We could have cared less about God while we were still sinners. He died for us. Or to put it more simply, we love because He first loved us. So the way that you love others, the way that you're pouring in to that neighbor of yours that, that's bothering you, but you really want him to see Jesus, the way that you're uh, loving that uh, relative of yours or, or, or pouring into other people, that love only comes from God's love for you. The only reason that we're able to love others is because God loves us first. So don't we dare, again, take credit. I'm I'm just a really loving person. No, you're not. You are a loving person simply because God loves you. And you get it. And you want to take that and give it to others. What about steadfastness of hope? Well, steadfastness of hope is rooted in the, reality, uh, in the reliability of the one you hope in. If you're hoping for a tasty burger, it matters who you're putting your hope in. McDonald's? How about In-N-Out? Five guys, right? Like, it matters who you put your hope in. You can only have true steadfastness of hope when your hope is in God. It matters who you're hoping in. So your faith is only visible when God is at the center. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. It's the power of God. It's not me. So, yes, we need to make our faith visible. But it's not us that's doing it. But rather, it's God that's working through us. It's God that's working in us. So should I hide it under a mug? Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. But we're only going to let it shine because of God. Because of what He's doing through us. So yes, we need to make our faith visible, but we're only going to be able to do that because of what God has done for us and only because of his power that's working in us. God, I ask that you use me. I I want you to use me. And it's got to be you that's doing the work. It's got to be. I know what I'm capable on my own. 
I'm capable of nothing on my own. So it's got to be you doing the work. So God, I just lay myself before you and just ask that you use me. And when anything amazing happens, when, um, when someone's touched by some of my words or when someone comes to Christ because of an interaction I have or, um, God, whatever it is, let the glory go back to you. I don't want to hear, oh, Ben's so great, or, uh, man, Ben, you're, you're, you're doing fantastic, or you're doing awesome things. No, no, no. God is doing awesome things. God, you are doing awesome things, and you're doing them through me. Thank you for using me. But Lord, let the glory, let the honor, let the praise, let everything go back to you. I want people to sing your praises, not mine. So Lord, help me be a faithful and useful instrument, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.